Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, that escalated quickly. Let's talk some Chiefs, guys. Welcome to the Chief in the North podcast. I am your host, Minnesota Chiefs fan, or Seth Kaiser. Spelled like, you know, Keysor, but we go by Kaiser. Do I know why it's spelled that name? No, I don't, actually. I've had people ask me that. These are the types of things I should know, but I don't. Anyway, um, I'm your host, Minnesota Chiefs fan, and uh, there's a lot to talk about today, and most of it not great, so we're just going to try to hop right into it. Um, It's been a very weird week to be a Chiefs fan this week. Um, It's gone from being a good week to be a Chiefs fan every week, and then it eventually became a mediocre week to be a Chiefs fan, then it became bad weeks to be a Chiefs fan. Now it's just getting weird. At this point, like the season is almost feeling like a comedy of, of, of worst case scenarios. I'm just waiting for like, you know, Andy Reid to come out and resign, which, you know, maybe some of you would like that. I, that would be a really, really, really not good thing to have happen. I mean, I just everything just keeps seems to keep heading south. And so I've got a couple topics that I really want to cover today, and we'll talk a little bit about the, the Jets game, especially um, the, the third down defense. Um, we're going to talk a lot about uh, well about some mailbag questions. I want to talk a little bit about Alex Smith. But the big news on everyone's mind, obviously, is uh, Marcus Peters suspended against the Raiders. Uh, Andy Reid has just said it, basically said it was because of Sunday, made the decision. I think it's in the best interest of the team is what he said, and uh, that's that. You know Andy Reid's not going to give you a full reason because he's never going to throw a player completely under the bus. But for Andy Reid to suspend you for a full game, there's got to be something going on besides just the the things that we saw on Sunday. I'm sorry, there's no way. Despite, I mean, yeah, the leaving the field. I'm sorry, but that was boneheaded. Well, he thought he was he thought he was uh, you know kicked out of the game. Well, I got to tell you, maybe you should wait for someone to tell you that. Uh, to me, I mean, he was sitting there laughing and walking away almost immediately. And that was the other thing. He was laughing and all that stuff. And it bothered me when Travis Kelsey did it when he got ejected from a game. And it bothered me that Peter was, do- was doing it. It's this whole, I didn't do anything wrong, everything's unfair kind of attitude. I, I just, I don't like that. I don't like that in clients. I don't like that in friends. I don't like that in me. And I don't like that in players either. Because obviously, if you grab a flag and chuck it, well, yeah, you probably should get ejected from a game. Um, and, and of course, turns out he didn't. But I'm telling you, despite all that, I think there's more going on here. So we're going to cover that, obviously, at length. Uh, first, I want to just talk about that Jets game briefly. We saw good Alex return, which was a really great thing to see. He was pushing the ball down the field. Everyone knows that Nagy took over play calling. Um and it seemed to be a pretty big difference. There was definitely more of an emphasis on the deep ball, definitely more of an emphasis on Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, although Kelsey kind of faded in and out. He was really involved early, then not so involved, then involved late. I wish they'd have kept him involved throughout. But I love the fact that they kept stretching the field vertically. It forced the Jets to play defense a little bit differently than teams have been playing the Chiefs lately. 
And Alex did a pretty good job chucking the ball down the field. Yes, he missed a few throws, but that's the nature of the beast when you're throwing the ball down the field. You are going to miss more throws because they're harder throws to make. I am perfectly happy with Alex Smith completing a lower percentage of his passes as long as he's consistently pushing the ball down the field and still hitting a decent number of them. Um, one thing to note, he did have a few inaccurate passes that were shorter as well. So I don't think he was completely out of it. I wouldn't put this on par with like his Patriots game or, or, you know, the game he had against the Redskins or the Texans, but he was very good. And so that was, that was fun to see. It was good to see the offense get back on track. The pass blocking looked better and in limited, uh, snaps, the run blocking actually looked better as well. We'll see how that holds up against Oakland, but that was really encouraging to see, um, especially again, pushing the ball down the field. I'd like to see the offense continue to run that way. Um, I'd like to see them continue to have Kelsey and Hill be the primary emphasis of the offense. I want to see them continue to do the kind of almost like triple option read pass options that they were doing where they've have, you know, a bubble screen on one side of the field, a slant on the other side of the field, or you could also run the ball and just depending on the coverage, that's what Alex calls. I like that. Given the playmakers the Chiefs have, you're bound to find a mismatch somewhere when you do things like that. I hope to see them continue to do that. That was a major emphasis in this last game. And I think it plays to Alex's pre-snap strengths. And it also kind of negates some of the zone stuff that we're seeing because it's limited decision making. And so if Alex doesn't like his first read, he knows exactly. He's got, okay, two reads to go through. Boom, boom. And I kind of like that. It kind of negates his his issues that he occasionally has post-snap. So that was really encouraging to me. It actually left me, I was more encouraged after the Jets game than I was after the Giants or the Bills game, oddly enough, even though it was yet another loss in the defense. Holy smokes. Um, especially on third down, the defense was bad. And that's, of course, the flip side of the coin. The run defense looked fine for the most part, but now the pass defense decided to just completely crap the bed. And, you know, it's one of those things, you know, we can just never have nice things. We can't have everything at once, it feels like. Um, I actually went back and there's an article that's going to be coming up on Arrowhead Pride soon, or maybe if you're listening to this on, on Thursday, maybe it's already come out where, where I discuss uh, third downs. And so what I did is I went back and I watched every third down the Jets had on all 22, um, both uh, successes for the Chiefs defense and failures. So because I, I wanted to see what they did differently on plays where they were actually able to stop them and force a fourth down and the plays where they weren't able to stop them, which is more often than not. I counted 22 plays in all. There were two that were penalties. So, you know, like the stats on ESPN will say 20, but I counted penalties as well. Cause if you're giving up a penalty, you're giving up the first down. And that's what the chiefs did. The jets converted 15 of 22 third downs. That is horrible. It's so bad. I mean, I laugh so I don't cry. Um, so we're, I want to talk a little bit about the whys because one thing that I've noticed is some of the narratives that people have floating around about those third downs, I did not find to be correct, at least with regards to the Jets game. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things about what's ailing the defense, and I think people are wrong. So I'm going to dive into that. But first, the big news of the day, um, again, Marcus Peters. And I already talked about this a little bit. And so I guess the big thing for me is to talk about the why. You know, what What exactly is going on here? But before we do that, I just want to get something out of the way. I, as far as the anthem protest stuff goes, um, I, I guess I'm going to be honest, you guys. I can't understand hating someone because they, they, they kneel during the national anthem. Even if you find it disrespectful, that 
I, I just I can't understand that. I'm all for respecting the anthem. I personally would rather people not kneel during it, but I mean I respect someone's right to. And so I just want to say, you know. I see both sides. This is becoming a really bitter divide already. And it's bringing up some really tough conversations. And that's so unfortunate because you, on one hand, there are people, and I'd like to challenge both extreme views on this. There are people that are just saying things about Marcus Peters that are just horrible. And you can't really back it up based on what we've seen. Like, you know, I've seen people on Twitter calling him a thug and saying all these horrible things about him. When from all accounts, he's a 24 year old man who, does a lot of good for the community, um, definitely presents in a certain light, seems to have an attitude problem on the field, but that's it. And that's really not that different from Travis Kelsey, yet Peters is being vilified a great deal more. Now, to be fair, a lot of people were mad at Travis Kelsey too, but there has been more of an edge there. And I think people need to acknowledge that. It needs to be acknowledged that there's more of an edge there than there should be. And, you know, people don't want to talk about race and that kind of stuff. I guess it's just worth asking, is that the reason? And if you're saying, no, it's not, well, great. But it's at least worth asking just real quick. Is that part of it for you? And then you just ask. And if it's not, great, move along. That's on one side. You've got to ask yourself if it's a racial thing or an anthem thing. Am I really hating on someone more because they made a different political choice than I'd like? That's on one side, and maybe I lost some of you there, and some of you are mad at me, and I'm sorry if you are. I really am. I'm just asking you to think about it. If you think I'm wrong, tweet at me and tell me I'm crazy. But just think about it for a second, because it's always good to consider opposing viewpoints. It really is. The world would be a better place if we considered opposing viewpoints more often. And I mean that for the other side of people, too, that any criticism of Marcus Peters gets labeled as racism, or, you know, people are saying, well, they, they did this for Kelsey, but they, you know, they, they're not doing it for Peters and it's all because they're racist and he's a great player and he does no wrong. Look, that's not right either. Um, people can legitimately criticize Marcus Peters without being racist. And I guess both sides, you know, it's, it's almost a lot like politics for me at this point, which I try to avoid politics. And maybe this is politics adjacent, but I view this as a Chiefs issue. And I view this as a Chiefs fans issue because I hate seeing people that I like tearing each other to pieces on social media. It's unfortunate. You know, I, I hate seeing that. You know, I'm, I'm from Minnesota, right? We're Minnesota nice up here. And I don't like seeing people tear each other apart when maybe if we just sat down and listened to each other a little bit. I don't know. Maybe we'd be okay. Look, y'all don't listen to this for my, you know, takes on how to make the world a better place. But I'm just saying, if you're on one side of that extreme or the other, maybe just really ask yourself, is Marcus Peters really that bad? Or on the flip side, ask yourself, can Marcus Peters really do no wrong? Because I think the truth is somewhere in the middle here. And because on one hand, I've I got people saying that Peters is playing terrible football and that he's never tackling and that he's awful in coverage. He's always playing off, man. That's what was costing the Chiefs against the Jets. For those people, I would say I counted one play against the Jets on third down that resulted in a first down because of Marcus Peters playing off man coverage and failing to tackle one out of 15 conversions. So no, he's not the biggest problem on defense. He's not even close. He is not even close. He has been the second best player on the defense this year behind only Justin Houston. He has played overall quite well for the most part. Uh, to people on the other side of the fence, I got some people saying, oh, it's it's all made up. It's exaggerated. He's not, you know, <laughs> whatever you'd call it, I guess, uh, lollygagging out there. I don't know. Is lollygagging still a thing? Look, to those people, that's wrong too. Because I could point out a couple of plays where Peters clearly 
is not giving it his all with regards to tackling. He's just not going for it. And that's not okay. I can also point out multiple plays where he's sitting there kind of throwing a tantrum on the field. That's not all right. And we've got to get past a point to where we act as though it's okay for a grown man to act that way. I didn't think it was okay when Kelsey acted that way. I don't think it's okay when Marcus Peters acts that way. I don't think it's okay when Tom Brady acts that way. I don't care who you are. If you are not five, you should not be throwing temper tantrums. In fact, let me let me walk that back. I don't let my five-year-old throw temper tantrums. And so this idea that, oh, it's just emotional, just a competitor. Well, that's not right either because you can be emotional and be a competitor without throwing fits on the field. <clears throat> so the attitude thing is something that's concerning. His play He's having a tough year. He's pressing a little bit on the field. And this last game, you saw he was just visibly frustrated out there. Now, I personally think he's mad about the the the, the coverage issues that other guys in the secondary are having. I think he's frustrated by that because he does want to win. And Peters isn't making the same mistakes other guys are making. And I think that makes him mad. And that's kind of legitimate. It makes me mad just watching it. Can't imagine being the opposite corner. And so as you can see, I'm flipping from one side of the fence to the other here because um, I can kind of see where he's coming from at the same time. You've got to handle it appropriately, and he's not. Um, as far as his play goes, he's playing pretty well. Um, he just occasionally has plays that he takes off a little bit, and that's not okay. That's never okay. And I don't think for a second that that doesn't have something to do with what's happening here, because if I can see it on film and every, you know, if, if, if Baldy can see it on film, so can the coaches and so can the veterans when they're going through tape and it's, you're going to be hard pressed to, to talk to any of the other guys, even guys that are blowing it in coverage or making mistakes. It's going to be tough to get in their face and say, Hey, you're doing this wrong. And they're like, really? Cause you're allergic to tackling sometimes. And the fact of the matter is he has played like that. I could probably find you no fewer, no fewer than a dozen snaps where Peters actively shied away from tackling and it cost the Chiefs yards. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. Um, so, again, it, it's kind of six and one half dozen. There, there's both sides to this here. My real concern, and this is going to be this is going to sound so dumb, but my biggest concern that I have right now comes from one tweet. And again, this is just the dumbest thing. I'm a 32-year-old man talking about tweets causing me concern. But the fact that on Tuesday, and Marcus Peters doesn't tweet much, but the fact that on Tuesday, the day that I would assume he probably found out about his suspension, maybe he found out Monday night, but it seems, you know, a lot of times they have Mondays off. It seems more like an Andy Reid thing to let him come into the facility on Tuesday and then have a sit down with him. That's what I'm guessing happened. And the fact that all you see is a tweet that says, LOL, that spooks me more than the rest of this whole thing with regards to Marcus Peters' future in Kansas City. And I'm going to get into the 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 whys of that in just a second. First, I'm going to take a quick break. Man, I'm getting better at this. Man, that's like practically a teaser. And so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to try to. I'm going to talk about whether or not I think Marcus Peters has a future in Kansas City because, in my opinion, I'm I'm starting to get a little spooked, guys. So we'll talk about that right after this. So Marcus Peters, um, good player, very good player, elite playmaker. Pretty good, pretty good cover corner. Um, he's got, he's had some issues with effort and tackling this year. Not as much as people like to say, but they have existed. So now what? Um, you know, I was just talking about this tweet. Okay, and again, this is the dumbest thing. But 
it's hard not to read into someone tweeting LOL right after getting suspended. And it's hard not to, to, to read into it and read into motivations, read into repentance or lack thereof, read into whether or not someone's remorseful at all, uh, or whether someone thinks that what they're doing is okay. I guess to me, like, and I hate to make this comparison, but you know, I used to lead a youth group. Okay. And so if I would, uh, if I would come down on one of the teens for something, and, you know, I'm not saying Marcus Peters has the same mentality as a teenager. Make no mistake. It's not what I'm saying. However, picking up a flag and throwing it into the stands was a very teenager thing to do. So you reap what you sow to an extent. If you're going to act childish, the, the analogies are going to compare you to teens, I guess. But anyway, plus those are some of the only people anyone's ever trusted me to have authority over. So if I came down on one of them and their reaction was to laugh, um, which I'm not really sure that happened very often. They were all scared of me. I'm not sure why. Um, but you'd see people that think it's funny when they get in trouble. And that's usually related to this idea that they didn't do anything wrong. And oftentimes when you see Peters, when he's having kind of his more emotional moments on the field, when he's yelling at refs or when he's yelling at a fan or when he's yelling at a coach and look, Everyone has outbursts in football, okay? I'm not saying these things to pile in on him. But you. one thing that I've consistently noticed is Marcus Peters seems to consistently believe that he's right, which most of us do, right? We consistently believe that we're right for the reasons we do things. Otherwise, we wouldn't do them. But it also seems as though he thinks that whatever wrong is being done to him justifies his reaction. That's as best as I can tell. I don't know the guy right? But all I can do is judge based on what I see. And what I see is a guy who thinks that it's justifiable to chuck a flag into the stands because you're angry at a call. That to me tells me a little bit about your mentality. It's like, yeah, well, they did this. And and I got to tell you, I'm just going to be frank here. That is not an adult mentality. It's just not. Am I saying Marcus Peters isn't an adult? Of course not. I'm saying with regards to that specific action, that was not an adult-like action. That was very childish. And I'd be willing to bet in a moment of honesty he would say the same thing. But I'm not so sure. I'm really not. Um, again, because that one, I think the word the Casey Star used for that tweet was ominous. And I got to tell you, that is an ominous tweet to me. I think Therese Paler said that in his article. And then also in Therese's article, he had an interesting quote from Alex Smith where the gist of it was, uh, or the gist of it was that, you know, he, he basically said, well, I can't speak for the other leaders of the locker room, but, you know, I, I think we get it. You know, Alex Smith is not a, a outspoken guy. And I'd really give a lot to know what he meant by, you know, we, we get it. They get it. Because there's a lot of things that go on in a locker room that we as fans are unaware of. Um, but when you look at the body language of the defense, particularly the secondary, it does not seem like it's all sunshine and rainbows there. And given, I tend to believe that if someone has a difficult time controlling their behavior in a situation where they really, 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 really should, and there are eyes on them, that makes me seriously doubt what their behavior is like behind closed doors. And so if Marcus Peters can't control himself on the field where he knows he'll get penalized, where he knows he might get ejected, where he knows he might get suspended, I guess I don't trust him to control himself in a locker room either. And so 
I, I just that, that the quote from Alex combined with the LOL thing, which again, it's such a ridiculous topic to have. And when combined with the fact that Andy Reid is not a guy that likes to suspend players, it makes you wonder about the reaction. You know, people are saying, well, coaches got to hold them accountable. Players got to hold them accountable, whatever makes you wonder about what the, what the reaction has been like. Has there, has there been the equivalent of a giant eye roll, the a, a giant LOL tweet in response to internal attempts to discipline him? And that's the best guess that I have right now as to why he's suspended. Is it just a guess? It absolutely is. But to me, uh, Peters is a sharp guy. He's clearly an intelligent person. Um, and you don't tweet out something like that and keep it up there knowing what the talk is with when it's not intentional. Um, it was brought to my attention today that there there's some stuff that's said about Marcus Peters on local radio. That's pretty, pretty rough stuff. Um, and he seems like the type of guy based on what I can tell that might take that kind of thing personally. And so that's where I get into kind of this, this long-term idea of Marcus Peters as a chief. Do I want him to be a chief? Absolutely. He's a talented player, a very good player at a very important position. Um, given what I've seen in this last couple weeks, do I think he's got a future in Kansas city? I don't know if someone told me, um, that Marcus Peters hated being a chief. It would be hard for me to not believe him. And you know what? I might as well. I, I I've been doing this just long enough to where occasionally anonymous people will say something to me. I had someone say to me, and I have no way of determining the veracity of it, that they know some people and that Peters does hate it in Kansas City. Well, not that he hates it in Kansas City, but that he doesn't like being a chief, that he's not happy. And I got to be honest, a lot of times when I hear things like that, I look at them and I and I think, does this make sense based on what I'm seeing? For all I know, it might just be a crazy rumor, right? But I have had people contact me with good information before, and I don't know whether this is or not. Um, but it wouldn't stun me if he wasn't happy because – why else would you do some of the things that he does? Why would you tweet out LOL right after getting suspended? I mean, the, these are things that they just don't really add up to. Yeah, Marcus Peters loves being a chief. You know, the fact that, you know, people, well, he thought he was ejected from the game. You know, he walked off the field and all that stuff. But the fact that he didn't stick around, talk to the media, and I get it to an extent. He didn't want to be dragged through the ringer. But overall, I'm just not really enthused about the long-term prospects of having Marcus Peters in Kansas city, because I can't imagine acting the way he has. If you really want to be in Kansas city and be a chief and considering some of the protest stuff, um, some of the, the interviews that he's felt the need to give and some of the stuff that he's felt the need to say, it wouldn't surprise me if Peters took personally some of the things that the fan base has said about him. And he has had some crummy stuff said about him. So I don't know. Right now, again, it is a weird time to be a Chiefs fan. And I just, I can't make heads or tails of the situation other than, I guess the ultimate thing is, you know, Seth, do you, dis- do you disagree or agree with the suspension? I think when you can, when you take into account past stuff that's happened with Peters, and you take into account the current on-field stuff that's happening, I get it. I'm not sure it's what I would have done, but I get it. Um, Because you can't have a guy loafing it and acting out. Maybe you can deal with one, and especially when he's not loafing it that often. Because, again, it's not often. 
but it happens. So maybe you can have one, or maybe you can have the other, but you can't have both. And so Peters kind of gets a lifetime achievement award suspension. I'd like to think that that'll be enough. But again, there's that ominous tweet hanging out in the background. And that makes me really uncomfortable as to whether or not it's going to actually be enough. Never before has an LOL frightened me so much. So I think we've covered pretty much every angle we can possibly cover on Marcus Peters. So I want to I want to shift topic a little bit right after I very unprofessionally cough. <coughs> I'm getting over a cold here. And, you know, our production values are so incredible here in the Chief in the North that, uh, you know, that's what you get treated to. Anyway, so third down defense. Very reviled, and rightfully so. <laughs> um, it was bad against the Jets, guys. That was gross to rewatch. And so, uh, like I said, I went back, watched every watched every snap, trying to figure out what was going on. There's some myths going on right now. I've got the article on Arrowhead Pride as well. I'm hearing a lot of stuff about Bob Sutton, a lot of stuff about Justin Houston, a lot about the pass rush, a lot about coverage, a lot of different theories. Um, here's Here's what I generally found. I'll give you some general observations that I made once again, going back and rewatching the mistakes that I saw were largely execution in nature. And I'm not saying like Bob Sutton's asking the players to do anything special. I mean, you've got simple breakdowns in really easy zone coverages. Uh, You got, you got corners not communicating when to switch with one another or just being in the wrong zone or not covering guys that come into their zone, just some basic failures in communication and executing zone defense in particular, or, I mean, you know, there was that big long gain on a, on a shallow crosser um, that Terrence Mitchell gave up because he just caught himself. He was in man coverage and he was incredibly out of position. He was doomed right at the snap because they motioned the receiver to the left side of the line. Mitchell way overran it. They snapped it, ran a crosser and Mitchell was 10, 15 yards away from him and moving the wrong direction. When the ball got snapped, it was completely over. And so that's really concerning for me. And that's something that, yes, coaching bears some culpability, but some of these things are just basic things that a defense should know how to do and that Bob Sutton's defenses have known how to do in the past. So at a certain point, you got to ask yourself, you know, is it the players? Is it the coaching? Is it, I mean, it looks like the players out there. It's mostly execution stuff. Um, you know, and I'm going to come back to Bob Sutton in a little bit. But I want to talk about the pass rush. Interestingly enough, when I rewatched, I felt like I owed Chris Jones an apology because I've kind of talked about him like he's been a a vanishing act. He actually had multiple plays where he generated really good pressure. And because of plays elsewhere, it didn't matter. You know, there was one play where he forced forced an, an errant throw with great pressure, beating a couple guys. And because of a hold called on the secondary, they, they got a first down anyway. The Jets got a first down. And so it just makes you wonder just a few plays like that where it actually impacts the game and your whole narrative about a guy shifts. But because of failures that were not his fault, he gets remembered as having a quiet game. Um, The pass rush overall, I mean, it's not as good as I'd like it to be, but it was actually better than I thought it was. Significantly better than the secondary. My big concern now is the secondary. Um, I timed the, the amount of, the amount of seconds that, that went off before McCown would throw the ball and consistently he was getting the ball out in under two seconds 
on a ton of snaps and then under 2.5 on a lot more. There are only a few where he went over 2.5. And those were kind of unique snaps, like when Justin Houston dropped into coverage and a few like that. And it's it's just disturbing to me that teams are able to find open receivers that quickly on the Chiefs. And I know some people would say, well, that's because Sutton has them playing 10 yards off the line of scrimmage every time. That's not really it. It's like blown zone coverages, um, just just bad execution. And so that that's tough to watch. And I'm not really sure what the answer is, to be honest. They, they've got to tighten that stuff up. But overall, you know, I, I just couldn't find a lot to blame Sutton for against the Jets. Couldn't find that many plays where I was like, you know, because I had people saying, oh, you know, McCown had five seconds every play to stand there and survey. No, he absolutely did not. In fact, I didn't chart. I think I maybe charted one play in 22 where he had five seconds. And that was because he scrambled away from pressure. He did a really great job on that play. Um, And then there was a completely blown coverage. Um, he, He did a great job running around away from pressure and keeping his eyes up. But for the most part, McCown was getting the ball out quick and the secondary couldn't do anything about it and kept giving him open guys. You know, pass rush, secondary, they work together. If guys are open in under two seconds, your pass rush isn't going to be able to do anything consistently. So that's that's frightening. And I don't know what the answer is right now at this point. So what I saw, like I said, is that a lot of the myths, they're not necessarily true. But that doesn't mean that I'm completely happy with Bob Sutton. And I had someone kind of mention to me, maybe a theory on Bob Sutton. They, uh, they call him the Andy Smith of, or the Andy Smith, the Alex Smith of, of defensive coordinators. Maybe Sutton's a guy when he has elite talent, he's able to look good, but he needs that elite talent. He's not a guy that can coach up average talent. And you know, the more I watch, the more I'm wondering if that isn't true. We've seen Sutton do a good job, but quite often during his time in Kansas City, he's had very good talent to bank on. And Derek Johnson and Tom Bahali and Justin Houston and Eric Berry and then later Marcus Peters, <clears throat> Ron Parker. Yeah, I've got a cough today. I'm sorry, guys. Ron Parker, Hussein Abdullah, uh, Kurt Coleman, uh, Tyvon Branch, you, Sean Smith. He's consistently had Dontari Poe at his absolute peak. He has had plenty of talent to work with. This is probably the least talented the Chiefs defense has been since he's been in town. And they haven't just gotten worse. They've like fallen off a cliff. And so you got to ask yourself, if he needs elite talent to field even a good defense, is he a good defensive coordinator? Couldn't any defensive coordinator field a good defense with elite talent? Don't you want a guy who can at least make a respectable defense with average talent? And I think the Chiefs have average talent, maybe, on defense. I mean, it's tough with DJ and Holly aging overnight and Barry being injured. I do think it's tough. But you'd think they could come up with something a little better than what they've done. Because what Sutton seems to have done to adjust is he's got Houston playing kind of this weird role where he doesn't rush the passer nearly as much as he should. Because not only, by the way, when I was watching these third downs, was Houston dropping into coverage he also was uh was was kind of playing contain or dropping into throwing lanes way too often way too often and so i'm just not sure that that sutton is necessarily equipped to make things work unless he's got elite talent around him and that's the worst thing that i'd say about him is you know you'd think that he could coax a little something better out of what we have but again for right now the failures are largely execution based 
I, am I ready for a shift to a different defensive coordinator? Maybe based on the use of Justin Houston alone and the fact that our defensive linemen just cannot seem to get off blocks. And that's been a consistent problem under Sutton. And, you know, maybe that's uh, the, you know, Britt Reed's fault. I don't know. But it's it's been a consistent problem. And so for those two issues alone, I wouldn't hate the idea of shifting to someone new. But all this blame that's going on him, I think it's a bit excessive because a lot of it is just based on the players. All right, we're going to take one more break. Then we're going to hit some mailbag questions. And then we're going to call it a day in this weird week of being a Chiefs fan. All right, mailbag time. I had a lot of really good questions. I really appreciate this. Um, it helps, it helps make my day more fun answering mailbag questions. Usually, uh, Severn 58, uh, who, you know what, if you don't follow at Severn 58, he's an old timer at, uh, Arrowhead pride. He's been there longer than I have. And I've been there for a while now. Um, and is an incredibly funny person. He, he said, give us hope for next year, not named Mahomes, Kelsey, Houston, or Hill. Um, Considering what's going on with Marcus Peters, it might seem weird to say Marcus Peters, but he'll be in Kansas City next year, barring something crazy happening. So I'm going to name him. I'm going to say Eric Berry coming back. I'm going to say Reggie Ragland's development is a big deal. I'm going to say Kareem Hunt, obviously. I think the offensive line bounces back. We still got a lot of talent on that line with Morse and LDT and Schwartz. And Fisher's had a rough year, but we know he can play. So I think there's a lot of reason for some optimism and for some hope. I think the pieces are there by and large on offense. We saw against the Jets, this offense tear them apart. And there are the pieces in place in this on this team. And that's without Chris Conley, who I do think is a solid possession receiver and a guy who can be a deep threat occasionally. They've got the pieces in place to be a really good vertical offense. Now they just got to start executing it and going downfield and going there for their first read so it doesn't take five seconds to get there. And so I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic there. Like I said, on defense, Barry coming back is a big reason to be optimistic. Reggie Ragland has really come on. That's an exciting thing. Uh, Passigno, Tano Passigno has actually started to get on the field and he's flashed a little bit. I'm going to review his film this week too. Um, So I think that's a reason for optimism. I do think you can count in Marcus Peters for at least one more year. And um, that's, you know, that's something at least. And so I think there are still the pieces there. I think the pieces, the core for a very good offense are, are in place. And I think you've got enough pieces for a good defense to where if you start filling in some of the cracks, you're going to be fine. Um, I think they need to go really hard at corner safety, although with Barry returning, that that need becomes negated. But corner and pass rusher would be great. Defensive linemen, those kinds of things. But they just, they're just they, they're just a few upgrades away at this point on defense, but there's still the pieces in place with Houston and Ragland and Peters and Parker and some of the defensive linemen they have with Chris Jones. That's another reason. The more I watch the tape, the more I'm thinking maybe Chris Jones's demise has been slightly exaggerated by me. I don't think he's improved from last year, but I still think he's been a good player. So he's a guy to hope for too. So, you know, it's really easy with the tailspin the Chiefs are in lately to forget how great they looked early in the season. This is still a talented team, which kind of rolls into my next question. Uh, Dylan Brunschittle, uh, he asked, true or false, Veach has his work cut out from in 2018. I guess I would say kind of false because I think the pieces are largely in place on offense. I really do. 
Um, I, I think the pieces are in place for, like I said, for a really good vertical offense. And I think you got the quarterback in place to make that happen. So I think the offense could be very, very good next year. I think the offense has shown flashes of being very, very good this year. A lot of flashes. Um, as recently as this last week, the tough work is going to be on defense. You know, you're going to have, you've got Chris Jones, you've got Justin Houston. Um, I don't know whether they'll bring Alan Bailey back or Benny Logan. I hope they bring back Benny Logan for sure. Um, you know, you've got Nacho who, you know, he's not a cornerstone piece, but he can help. And again, yeah. So you've got Ragland, uh, KPL has flashed at the inside linebacker spot. I think that's going to be the tandem next year. They need help at corner. That's the big thing. Corner and pass rusher. Cause Houston needs someone else to get some pressure. However, I think passing, you might be the guy there. I really do because he's obviously improved enough as the season goes along to be a guy that they give no snaps to, to a guy they actually let see the field. And in case you're thinking, well, that's just cause they're desperate earlier this year, they were desperate for guys to take snaps too. And they still wouldn't put him on the field. Now they put him on the field and he is, he's not, um, <laughs> let me, let me put it this way. Remember when D Ford saw the field as a rookie and he was obviously bad. Passing is not obviously bad. So there you go. He's already a step ahead of where D Ford was at this point. He also made a few decent plays setting the edge. I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to look at his film cause I'm curious about him. So him developing would be a big, big deal. And so, I think you just need to hit corner really hard and find as much talent there as possible because they need help there. And if they get that and they get some guys who can execute in the secondary, the pass rush isn't going to look as anemic as it has because guys aren't going to be able to just get rid of the ball in two seconds or one and a half seconds. So yes, Veach has some work cut out for him, but it's mostly on the defensive side of the ball. And I think they've got still the skeleton in place to build a decent defense. Um, Aaron Elder says, can you explain the biggest issue? No one was talking about special teams to be exact. The kick return game. They're always putting us in terrible field position. I wish I could explain that, but you are absolutely right. Aaron, they have been terrible returning kicks. I I'm to the point now where I groan when I see them taking a ball out of the end zone. It's like, just take the ball at the 25 because it's consistently the, the 15 yard line and look, 10 yards. Those are important, especially when you're talking about, you know, an offense that at times has struggled recently until, you know, Sunday when it suddenly became all world again. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, the coverage has still been fantastic um, and no one's letting Tyreek Hill near punts to return. So that's tough, but the kick return, it, that's been just bad, just bad. So yes, that's been incredibly disappointing. We're, you know, we count on special teams to make plays and they haven't been able to. Uh, 40 yard scouting says, Hey Seth, is our defensive line the most underrated underperformed this year? We've gone from the excellence of Howard Bailey, Poe, keeping linebackers clean to guys like Jones and Logan who are more three tech types who like to get upfield. It's really affected everything else. In my opinion, thanks. I guess I respectfully disagree about Logan and Jones being similar at all. I think Logan's a better, a, a better, uh, two gapper than Howard Bailey or Poe. Um, I do think that the defensive line has underperformed this year to an extent, but they were really affected by horrible linebacker play early in the year. And I don't think it's any coincidence that we're seeing better play from the defensive line at this point, or at least what appears to be better play. Now that Raglan's helped solidify the position, DJ's playing better and KPL has come in and played well. Um, the line has been disappointed because I thought it, it had the potential to be dominant, but they're not getting off their blocks in the passing game. I will say that 
again, when I went back and rewatched, the line looked better than I thought it did initially, and the failures in coverage made them look worse than they were. Um, Pohl was not good his last year as a chief. Um, yeah, I wrote about him before he left in free agency, um, that he just was not good last year. And so I, I think Logan has been an upgrade over what Poe was last year. However, um, you know, Bailey has been kind of what he is. Uh, Nacho's disappointed. Chris Jones hasn't taken a step forward. So overall the line's been, yes, very disappointing because I thought they could be dominant. Um, Going, keeping to go down. I uh, Seth, <laughs> hi Seth, uh, asks if when Casey makes major roster changes, Alex Smith, DJ Halley, maybe surprise release. Who could Casey use to replace some of the production? And these are these are the these are the moments where I feel like a giant disappointment. I don't pay attention to who's a free agent um, until that time starts to arrive. Uh, I do think that the Chiefs are going to get rid of Alex and DJ and Halley and maybe a few other guys, maybe like Alan Bailey to free up more money because I do think right now they've got too much money tied up to guys that aren't producing enough. I think Alan Bailey's cap hit next year is $8 million. We know DJ and Halley's are too high. We all know the Alex Smith situation. And so if they can allocate you know, $40 million somewhere else, they should because you can get guys that I think will be more productive for that kind of money and then be ahead of the game. So that's where I think a lot of these improvements, you know, we talk about investing in corners. Uh, I think, you know, a good corner in free agency would be a great thing to grab. Even if you got to overpay a bit, you don't always have to overpay, you know, Casey Hayward was signed by the chargers for dirt cheap and he might be the best corner in the NFL. So uh, for me, if I'm the chiefs and I'm looking to make a splash, I go for some corners, um, corners and maybe a pass rusher. Um, now who exactly, I don't really care as long as they can play. Honestly, um, uh, Brendan Downey asked, do you see Akeem Hunt getting more involved going forward? And I'm not sure. They mostly only played him out of necessity because Charkandrick West was hurt. So we'll see more of him as long as that keeps up. He didn't really do anything to pop in my eyes. He made one really nice grab. And I think he's kind of a league average backup type from what I'm seeing. He's got a little bit of a burst, but he doesn't really look like anything special to me in terms of vision or tackle breaking ability, but I think we'll see him play. And so far he's acquitted himself. All right. Um, Steven worth asks is uh, Passanio's future at linebacker or along the defensive line. Looks like he replaced Houston for a drive last game. He absolutely did. And he's played on the other side as well. I think his future's at linebacker. I think that's where he belongs and I hope they keep him there. He looks still a little clumsy, but these things will come with time. He looks less clumsy than he did. And I love the idea of having a 285, 290 pound outside linebacker. I absolutely would love to watch that. Um, Eric Williams asks, is there any reason for hope they'll get out of this slump? I still have hope. Now, this Sunday is it, right? This is do or die Sunday. Right now, the Chiefs still, believe it or not, and this is insane, they control their own destiny. They still can make the playoffs if they just win out. They will win the division. So this is the very first do-or-die Sunday that they've had this season because if they lose, suddenly their destiny is no longer in their hands. They need to rely on a Raider loss or you know Raiders and Chargers to lose. Um, it just they, – they suddenly – they definitely don't have the tiebreaker against the Raiders because they'll have been swept by them. And, oh, they'll have been swept by the Raiders. Come on. And so – this this is the Sunday that they can break my hope. Now, I was calling for Alex Smith to start last week, and I meant it. 
Uh, and then, of course, he responded with a great game. It's bizarre. But that wasn't because my hope had died, but that's because I think Patty Mahomes is going to be a dang good football player. So I do think there's hope. I will never, ever forget the one and five season that turned into the first playoff win. You know, that turned into 11 straight wins, including the first playoff win in decades. I'll never forget that. And I uh, that will always haunt me as a reminder that there's hope until there's not. And so, yes, I think there's a reason to hope. I think seeing the offense play so well, and I do think the defense still has enough talent, barely, to at least not be awful. I mean, holy smokes. And so I did have um, someone ask about Kelsey's antics, how they're different from Peter's antics. I touched on Travis Kelsey and, and, and Marcus Peters quite a bit. Uh, Big Gunnerman asked about this. He's asking about Kelsey's uh, on-field antics that built up to him hitting a ref with a towel. It's treating differently than Peter's throwing the flag into the stands. I guess I would say Peter's eventually, or Kelsey eventually did get suspended um, by Reed. And Reed brought that up, that he eventually did suspend him. That was more of an in-game suspension. You can't really do that on defense. Um, I would say the, I, I, I would agree that the, the, the individual acts there are pretty similar for sure. I guess I would just say that for whatever reason in Reed's mind with the context, it's different. And for all we know, that context may be what's going on behind closed doors. It could very well be that that's, and I'm almost convinced that half of the reason for this suspension is stuff that we're never going to know about. Something must have happened that made Reed say, this guy is just not getting it. So I got to I gotta do something more drastic here. And frankly, coming back to that LOL tweet, I, that kind of indicates to me that it is a little different. Because, you know, Travis Kelsey, when he got suspended, you know, he got his little in-game suspension. You never heard him saying a word about it. Even just that stupid little tweet with three little letters that makes you go, huh. Maybe the attitude here is a little bit different. And so I would say each situation is its own animal. And I think it's a mistake to compare one aspect of two situations and then say, oh, they're exactly the same. I don't think they I don't think they are. I, I think there's got there, there's with every situation. They're just a little bit different. It's kind of like, um, you know, I used to prosecute um, disorderly conduct is a really common crime people are charged with. It's the same statute. But every situation is a little bit different. And so let's say, for example, you got one guy that was just, uh, you know, screaming obscenities in a public place, right? Let's say he wasn't screaming. Here's what we'll do. We get a guy who was talking loudly and being obscene and being kind of noisy and, and, and he wouldn't stop and people asked him to stop and he kept making a scene and finally the police had to come because he wouldn't leave, you know, the business he was in. And they had to take him in. You had that. Then you got a guy who was completely freaking out, screaming at the top of his lungs, running around and scaring people, being just completely out of hand and being just all in all, you know, a little more frightening, a little louder, a little more obscene. And it was around children. You know what I mean? Context. Same charge, different context. For whatever reason, Andy Reid looks at these two situations and while they're similar, they're not the same. Um, I think we've got uh, time for one more. Dejected, realistic, suffering Chiefs fan asks, how do they defend pass without Peters? <sighs> you know what? We're going to find out. 
And I guess that's a good way to end here. I'm really curious what they decide to do. Maybe this will be the game. Wouldn't it be hilarious if Bob Sutton decided, well, since I don't have Peters, we need to be super aggressive. (laughs) That would make me laugh. I'm going to be honest. So we're going to find out. I have no idea what will happen. Either way, people need to keep in mind, if the Chiefs win, that doesn't mean they don't need Marcus Peters. And if they lose, it doesn't mean Marcus Peters is the best player on earth. Um, You know, there's a lot that could happen in this game. Uh, The Raiders aren't that good. So I think the Chiefs definitely have a chance without Peters. It's not like Peters' presence led to them stopping the pass last game. Not that it was his fault, but they just threw to the other side of the field. Maybe, Maybe Derek Carr will be confused by having more field to throw to. Who knows? Anyways, that's the time that we have for the day. I really appreciate you guys listening, especially as I sat there and waxed eloquent about things that are, you know, out of my pay grade to discuss. Um, as always, you know, subscribe, rate, review, whatever, on whatever app or whatever you use to listen to this. It does make a difference. I really appreciate you guys listening to me. I always enjoy talking Chiefs. I appreciate your mailbag questions, and I just appreciate you guys in general. Uh, So this has been the Chief in the North, the land of 10,000 takes. Thanks again, guys, and we will talk next week. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.